Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Trevor Funk, who's General Manager, Temperature Control LTL Solutions at CH Robinson, and Mike Majewski, who's Director, North American Surface Transportation Temperature Control at CH Robinson also. And today we're going to talk about insights on the temperature controlled shipping market. So if you follow the surface transportation market, you know that it's really a collection of markets, right? You know, you've got truckload, less than truckload, drive-in and temperature controlled. And each of these segments you know, is impacted by different trends and, and, and factors and challenges related to demand, capacity, um, seasonality regulations and, and other factors. And today we're gonna, we're gonna put the spotlight on the temperature controlled segment of the market. So what are some of the top trends you know, how are shippers looking for to find efficiencies in this market? You know, how is the produce uh, season going so far? Um, so those are some of the key questions we're going to address in today's episode. And it's great to have uh, Trevor and Mike, two experts on temperature control market on the program with us today to share their insights and perspective and advice on this. So Trevor, Mike, welcome to the program. Thanks, Adrian. Appreciate you having us. Excited to be Thanks here. Thanks for having us, Adrian. Great. Well, well, thank you both. You know, like, like I said, you know, this is a segment of the market that, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think generally speaking, a lot of attention gets put to the drive-in side of the market, right? And unless you're in produce or you're in meat or, you know, some other segment of the market that that relies on temperature control, you really, a lot of people don't really pay too much attention on it, but it's, it's a critically important segment uh, of the market. Uh, so maybe Trevor, we'll start with you and Mike. You know, from, and then Mike, you can add your perspective as well from 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 your perspective. You know, what are some top trends right now that you're seeing in the temperature uh, temperature control market? Yeah, thanks, Adrian. I'm going to actually jump in on this one first, if you okay. don't mind. I, I think it'd be helpful to to talk about just some general themes that we're going to hit on today as we go. And I think you've done a good job of teeing that up for us. Right now, there's a ton of conversation around efficiencies and service level improvements. And we know that, like you kind of mentioned in the drive-in space, that's also very important, but probably not as, um, I guess, demanded importance as we would see with a lot of our customer base in the temp space, knowing that a lot of the commodities that we're shipping are perishable just in time. There's a shelf life component and a lot of complexity added. So you'll see efficiencies and service level improvement needs as kind of key themes, but there's really four things that Trevor and I'll hit on that are top trends for us today. And I'll start maybe with the first two. The first one being refrigerated drop trailer. We've seen a significant focus and ask from our customer base and frankly, our carrier partners that we work with around drop trailer. It's kind of always been thought of as a little bit too nuanced in the temp world to drop a trailer. Somebody has to jockey the trailer around the yard, make sure they know how to fill the reefer unit with reefer fuel. Is it operating properly? There's some of those kind of nuances that have made it um, a little bit harder to dive into, especially when you're talking 3PLs. That being said, we've seen roughly, and, and this is Robinson, and I, I would envision this mirroring the broader marketplace as well, but we've seen at least 50% of the lanes that come through on large RFPs be um, demanding drop trailer or requesting drop trailer, which is a significant shift for us. And we've seen that, like I mentioned, again, mirrored in our internal marketplace at Robinson as well. Um, it's been significant. I think our growth right now is roughly 18% year over year in drop trailer. That includes drive-in and temp control. 
But the last two months alone, we've seen these RFPs and temp control drop trailer volume increase significantly. I think it was 18% um, in April and 28% increase in drop trailer volume in May. And so that trend continues to grow as we're looking to find efficiencies and consistency in this ever-changing marketplace. So that's the, the first trend that I think is, is really taking off for us. I'll jump in maybe quickly for the next one, which would be service metrics and retail compliance. As we know, um, when we're trying to find impacts to our bottom line and shippers are striving to find those impacts as well, they've, need, they've um, kind of exhausted some of those efforts in RFPs and playing around with, you know, do we do a, an annual, a biannual? Are we doing two-year bids? What does that look like and how can we find the best cost um, baseline to move forward throughout the, this marketplace as it's kind of an unknown for us still. Since that has already taken place significantly over the last few years, we've shifted a lot of our focus towards service improvements and retail compliance as it's kind of table stakes for us today as we're living in this unknown environment. So for temp control truckload, those are the two primary themes that I've seen and trends that have taken off. I know Trevor has a few that are really impactful for the audience as well. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Uh, you know, Trevor, what, what, what's your perspective on that? Well, I think I'll, I'll continue to pile on just with the return of, of what I would call the return of those retail compliance uh, expectations. And that's really delivering on time to the retail expectation in the cold chain, as well as obviously, you know, both in full, but as well as just, just having the right, you know, in some retailers even expecting pallets to show up in a very pristine, you know, almost almost ready to display manner, right? And I think with the pandemic, we saw that trend get relaxed a bit, right? Supply chains were tight. I think retailers said, look, get it here when you can get it here. We understand that we're in a very difficult environment right now. That environment doesn't exist anymore, right? And so with that has come that return of that expectation. Uh, and in and, and a need to make sure that we're adapting accordingly to that and being very service focused downstream to the retailer. And so, you know, what, you know, one thing that I've, we've been seeing a lot of shippers do is looking at, you know, do they forward deploy inventory and get closer to those DCs on a regional basis, right? Instead of having a single distribution center of gravity, uh, you, you may focus on a couple to get a bit closer. That also can have uh, some benefit if you're, if you're really trying to get closer to consumer, maybe you're doing some direct store business Maybe you're doing some more e-commerce. You're thinking about getting more involved with that, right? Having a more uh, diverse, you know, kind of some lily pad footprint across the country uh, can help you do that a little bit more efficiently. It also has the benefit of being closer to those DCs, so you can continue to sell through the traditional models, but be positioned for the future state. So, seeing a lot of that activity, um, and then you know the, the the fourth trend that I'd point out, Adrian. Uh, and, and, you know, me being from the LTL world, we're still continuing to see a lot of skew diversification uh, in order sizes in the consumer food space. There's been a ton of innovation, particularly on the fresh side. If you just look, you know, go walk through the yogurt aisle and look at the number of flavors, look at the number of companies that are selling that. That's a microcosm for what's happening across food and beverage, whether that's produce, frozen, you know, wherever. And so we've been seeing a, an increased demand for LTL uh, size orders or LTL type fulfillment opportunities because of because of that diversification and that's that's common across the marketplace and so you know really if I'm a shipper today and I'm looking at this trend and thinking about how do I or I'm not just maybe selling full truckload in and out anymore what do I do 
uh, really trying to find a, a balanced approach, a multimodal approach. And I don't necessarily mean truck, rail, air, ocean. I mean, hey, consolidation or, or multi-stop truckload or finding a way to blend those solutions together uh, while still meeting those retailer requirements. That's really going to set you apart in a tight market or in a soft market is by, by being flexible and adapting to the fact that order sizes and, and commodities are changing rapidly today. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of interesting points you both you both raised. I mean, I think you know the SKU piece is is interesting because I mean I know coming out of the pandemic, uh, even during the pandemic, and this is something actually for many years, a lot of companies that said you know their supply chains have become too complex, and maybe maybe the pandemic was an opportunity they thought to reduce that complexity. Maybe the SKU rationalization kind of reducing the number of SKUs. But, but I think, you know, consumers play a role in that as well, right? I think, you know, we, we also want some of that diversity and some of that, you know, expanded selection. So I think it's a it's a tug of war, I think, between, you know, uh, manufacturers and producers and, and retailers in terms of, hey, we want to simplify our SKU, SKUs, but then consumers also, you know, demand here. So how do we respond to that? So, so it sounds like that's still a kind of an ongoing challenge. And, and Mike, maybe we'll get to you in, in a second here, because I'd love to learn a little bit more. Maybe this is Maybe this will be part of my next question is I'm trying to understand a little bit more about why the rapid rise in, you know, drop trailers there. Um, but maybe Tre maybe this is part of this response. I don't know, Trevor, you tell me. I mean, my next question is basically, you know, how are shippers looking for efficiencies in the temperature control supply chains? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I talked about the, and it, it almost, it seems like a challenge, but I, I would really call it the opportunity to, to, to steer into the complexity, right? So we talked about those factors. Um, you know, if, if I'm a shipper today, I'm going back to that retail compliance piece first and foremost, right? So if you, if you think about, if you're not meeting those expectations, uh, whether on the delivery side or on the, or on the quality of the, the delivered product side or both, I mean, you're talking a couple of percentage points of cost of goods sold, right? And that's, that can have, on a, on a manufacturing invoice, that's a significant amount of money. Um, and so to, to me, um, are you as a shipper measuring that today? You would, be, you would be surprised the number of folks that will engage with that aren't looking at that yet. And, and, and it really, it's, it's not always easy to measure. You've got different scorecards coming in, especially if you're selling to a lot of different retailers. But taking the time to dive into that and measure is critical because, like I said, you're, you're leaving one to five percentage points on the table, depending on the environment. Um, and so I think doing that first, on the other end of the spectrum, we've seen, I, I've also had shippers say, hey, that's that's just the cost of, of doing business. Hey, that, that's just, it's kind of the way it is now. There's not really a lot I can do to mitigate that. Uh, and so I just bake it in and I, I keep it in mind the next time my pricing comes due, right? And, and I would say that there is absolutely ways to avoid that. Are you, are you and your provider aligned with the retailer's expectations? They are clear. Sometimes they have windows, sometimes it's very specific, but they are very, very clear in their documentation about how to align with that. And so if you're not collaboratively working with your partners to understand how I'm aligned all the way from manufacturing point to, to delivery, um, you're missing out on opportunities. You can make you could make a substantial amount of your fines go away just by singing from the same the same sheet of music. Right. So, you know, that's that's one area I would really focus. The other piece I'd focus on, especially on the LTL side, is just the accessorial side. We know the markets are rising and falling, but but really it's it's those little 
it's 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 the death by a million cuts you want to avoid. And so if your percentage of accessorial spend as a as a total of your of particularly your LTL freight spend, but I'd put Trucklet in there, is you know in the low double digits or even the high single digits, there's probably room for improvement. You should be studying your practices. You should be looking at your accessorial reporting, and you should be really working to drive improvements there. So those are some efficiencies that you can use to really drive cost out in a soft manner. Um, the only other thing I talk about really quick, Adrian, is, is just that end-to-end -end visibility component. So I talked about one way shippers are working to mitigate the effects of retail compliance or to align to retail compliance uh, is by pushing more inventory downstream. And so if you can get yourself into a position as a shipper where you're dropping one tender and that's moving through a single provider's platform, through a single provider's infrastructure, whether that's inbound transportation, warehousing or outbound transportation, you're going to save yourself a lot of headache, especially if you're managing it over multiple nodes and maybe you're a mid-sized shipper, right? So you're not carrying, you know, a full cooler boxes worth of goods, but you're managing a little bit in a lot of different places. And so having a single platform where you can view that order lifecycle all the way through that very complicated supply chain is gonna allow you to do a lot more root cause analysis faster. And it's just gonna give you better peace of mind and advantage of knowing where everything is at any given time. Yeah, no, a lot of great points. And I think they're all interrelated too. I mean, with the last point you, you talked about, I mean, it still surprises me how many companies, you know, still lack, you know, some of the basic metrics if you will, to drive their performance, right? So, you know, it's like the, the adage, right? If you, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So, so they, they, they're kind of missing that and leaving money on the table, as you just said. And then, you know, to come full circle, this is where visibility on a platform, you know, help, can help you, you know, once you have those metrics in place and you understand what is the data that you need and what is the performance you're trying to, you know, manage to, you know, that's where obviously having that visibility and, and ideally in, in a, in a, uh, um, uh, synchronized and holistic manner can help you drive to, you know, to that performance. Mike, just curious, anything you, you would add there and maybe, you know, maybe comment a little bit about is part of that drop trailer rise part of this drive to try to, you know, improve efficiencies? Oh yeah, I think it definitely is. And Trevor had some great comments there and a lot of that um, relays right back in the full truckload as well. And I think there's a lot of synergies there between the, the two. When we look at drop trailer, it's not only efficiencies and ability to plan accordingly, it's also a cost savings, right? Through through multiple markets. Typically, when you set up a relationship with a carrier partner or a 3PL, an asset, whatever it might be, on a drop trailer lane, they're invested, right? And the more we're invested in anything, just as human beings, the more we're willing to care about it, the more we we hold that consistency. It's just natural for us. And I think that's a big play and a smart play for a lot of shippers out there. And the community, the carrier community has reacted really well to that as well. They've been in this influx for years and trying to find efficiency, cost savings, um, greater effectiveness of their labor force at these warehouses. When you think about some of the pre and during pandemic struggles from a labor perspective, a lot of those still exist today. And so when we're thinking about how can we give a better experience to our end customers, it's staffing up the warehouse appropriate, knowing what you have coming in and out of every day and planning accordingly. So you can have those on-time deliveries for your retailers. You can have that um, relationship for a carrier from a carrier's perspective with that shipper or receiver when you have that type of a setup. So I think it kind of checks all the boxes and that's why we've seen that rise. I don't think it was as prevalent before because we didn't have the need for it to be. 
today we do, and we've learned a lot over the last few years in how we can make an efficient, effective marketplace operate and drop trailer is a big component of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've, I've been seeing that as well with, you know, a lot of the companies that, I, that I've talked to both on the drive van side, but really I, I haven't kept a, as strong a pulse on the uh, temperature control side. Uh, so, so it's interesting to see, you know, the growth that you're seeing there uh, as well. So, so Mike, let's stick with you. Obviously we're kind of in produce season, you know, right now. Uh, so from a trucking perspective, I mean, how's it going so far? Um, and, you know, what are your predictions for temperature control? I know making predictions is a little bit risky in this business, but, you know, what, what are your predictions for the temperature control capacity this summer and, and for the rest of the year? Yeah, I was going to say, is this recording? Those those forecasts are always challenging. I think we do have some folks at Robinson in the on the back end that have been really sharp with the forecast and been able to predict pretty well. Obviously, we um, reference a lot of the uh, external trade publications that are pretty trusted as well to kind of balance that off of what we see to build these forecasts. But I guess to, before we get too deep into that conversation, I'd love to just talk about produce season for those in the audience that maybe aren't as familiar. Um, it's typically a, a domestic produce season starts in about April for us. That's when we really see it ramp up. And the true start date, at least what we talk about in Robinson is Mother's Day floral surge, right? So we just had Mother's Day a few weeks back super exciting time. I'm sure many people out there have purchased flowers from any large retailer or small shop, whatever it might be. For us, that's kind of the kickoff of produce season in the Southeast. I believe 70% of all of the flowers uh, purchased in the U.S. come from South America in through Miami. And so we ship and consolidate, kind of a nod to, to Trevor and team with the warehouse component as well. We ship and consolidate thousands of floral shipments to major retailers and small shops in a nine-day window leading up to Mother's Day. And that's typically when the carriers and, and you know produce season also impacts driving carriers that migrate when the seasons shift. It has those carriers start migrating to the south as floral season kicks off. And it's kind of a sign to them on what is this market going to be for me this year? What do the costs look like? What are the supply demand imbalances? There's a component of inbound freight that impacts the outbound rates and all that good stuff that carriers like to follow to understand how active they want to be in produce uh, during produce season. But that's kind of the start, like I mentioned. And typically produce season begins in Florida with the flowers. Then you have corn, melon, and it migrates and follows the sun up into the west, so north into the west. And so we see it starting to play out in Georgia right now, again, with some melons. Um, and you have some veg coming out of there. We also have this California component that really takes off. And we've seen that start a little earlier than we maybe expected this year. For those of you that follow produce news or anything like that or temp control pretty closely, you probably heard about the Salinas Valley floods that started early in the year and damaged a lot of strawberry fields. They were completely underwater. A lot of the veg and lettuce fields were, were completely tainted. That being said, that wasn't a very dramatic um, shift for us, right? We thought it would really postpone produce season, but it hasn't. We lost about 20 days and we see that starting to can kind of come together now and really pick up. Um, we haven't seen the load to truck ratios. I know a lot of us follow that and the, the costs and rate trends. We haven't seen those increase dramatically to a point that we have in previous years. Our costs are somewhat following that five-year average right now, bouncing on the bottom of the marketplace as we kind of figure out what that bottom is. 
and shippers are figuring out what that bottom is as well and adjusting. So we're still bouncing there. I'd say we're roughly 8% below the five-year average um, from a produce season standpoint. And we envision that to probably continue as we kind of monitor the demand increases through the rest of the season. Typically, produce season will slow down at the July 4th holiday. And we also not only have produce, but you get into the grilling season, which we like to talk about a lot. That's when you're having parties outside, you're buying fruits and veggies, the really cute watermelons, and then you're buying some meat to throw on the grill too and have some fun with it. So the season is off to a start, I'd say for to a good start. For those that are listening in and really following those markets, I would say it's relatively muted to what we've felt and experienced in the past because we're still living in this oversupplied marketplace post-pandemic where a lot of carriers are starting to really come in into the fold and we've noticed demand in other markets outside of produce kind of sustain or, or, or drop a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's a fascinating, you know, segment of the market, you know, and, and the more I learn about it, you know, the, the more I realize you know, how many different factors are, are involved, you know, and, you know, not only with the, uh, what you would expect in the uh, traditional transportation market, you know, in terms of, of availability of capacity, um, but even just, you know, just the harvest and what, you know, and, and, and how the weather might've impacted that or, or mm-hmm. events like floods and things like that. So these are all things that are, you know, create some risk and uncertainty and, and have an, you know, ultimately impact on, you know, how things roll out through, through the season, but you provided some good, you know, you know, perspective there, you know, Trevor, Trevor, I, I want to go back to you now. Um, and, you know, I think you might, you alluded to a little bit, you know, before, um, but, and I've certainly read a lot about it, you know, the whole warehousing side of things and, and temperature control is one aspect of this in terms of there being kind of a, you know, we, we often talk about being a capacity crunch with 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 regards to trucking and driver shortage and so forth. But, you know, a similar type of, you know, capacity constraints is, exists on the warehousing, you know, mm-hmm. side as well. Can, can, can you comment a little bit about that? I mean, what, what's driving that? And, and um, you know, what, what are the prospects giving, you know, kind of the, some of the cooling off in in warehouse expansion? No, it's it's a it, it is a very uh, prevalent topic right now, Adrian. And, and Mike just got done talking a lot about the transportation market, how we're how we're in a bit of a dine, down cycle in terms of pricing, right? And in you know on the warehousing side, it's a real estate market, and in cold chain, it's it's very it, it's very tight and, and and seems to be appearing to be tight for the foreseeable future. And so you know, there's, there's obviously the factors I talked about, you know, previously that might be driving demand there, right? There's the need to be in different markets, maybe have a little bit more of a streamlined footprint. Um, you've got the fact that, hey, demand for fresh and, and frozen foods continues to grow. And it's not just always with population growth. I mean, the, 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 the old adage has been, hey, food and beverage can be, you know, at least on the, the grocery side, can be a bit of a, a recession-proof industry. And that's certainly, that's certainly true, but you're also just seeing that you know, consumers are willing to spend more of their income, even in inflationary times, on these types of products. So that keeps demand higher uh, for longer than expected. Um, and so, if you if you you take that and you also consider post-pandemic, you know, production uh, disruptions seem to be a thing of the past. Except, of course, you know, on, on the produce side, as as Mike alluded to, um, outside of Mother Nature, you know, production lines are running full speed. I mean, staffing challenges. Uh, are, are certainly less of an issue than it was during the pandemic. And really, if there's a strong flow of manufactured food supply, 
then cold storages are going to fill uh, higher and they're going to fill more rapidly. And we're seeing that today. So if you butt that up against supply, uh, you know, you think about the cold, the public cold storage marketplace, you know, the top three providers own over half the available cubic feet in North America. Uh, they've been extremely acquisitive. Uh, and, and really, if, if you were to go and launch, you know, even even four, five, six, seven buildings tomorrow, you might be a top 10 cubic foot provider in this in this country, which speaks to the lack of of, of available available options right now. You know, really, you know, if you think about the infrastructure, you know, an ideal full states, probably about 85 percent. And, and, and if you read some of the publicly traded reports, they're trending in that direction. You can't really run a warehouse at 100, 110. You're just going to have a lot of service failures and a lot of pallets on the floor. It's not going to work. So really, we're already approaching utilization. The infrastructure that exists uh, outside of the new builds are aging and are going to need replacement. That's going to be costly and that's going to be time consuming. And so if you if you but if you butt those factors against each other, as well as sprinkling the fact that you you are seeing a need for additional value added services from shippers, it's not just hey bring my pallet in bring my pallet out. There's plenty of that, but there's high velocity case picking. So, hey, maybe inventory comes in. It only sits in the warehouse for a couple of days. It has a 85% case pick percentage across 60, 70 SKUs and it's going out the door and that, you know, you might hear that story and say, wow, that's obscure. That's no, that's actually becoming more commonplace, particularly on the fresh side. Um, there's, you know, the existing infrastructure and skilled labor force in the warehouses isn't always prepared to service that kind of business at a high level with minimal mistakes. So it's getting more complicated. Uh, it's getting a lot more complicated as well. And that's causing a factor. So I just lay, I just listed out a bunch of, uh, uh, maybe a bunch of, of, of problems. So like what, what's going on? Are there solutions? The good news is, is there's a lot of capital that's willing uh, to, in, to invest in the space. Uh, the challenge being is that obviously building a cold storage is not like building a, a dry warehouse. There's a high degree of capital that goes into it and there's a high degree of expertise. And so I, I, you know, I'm heartened as a practitioner. I spend a lot of time talking to real estate developers, cold chain providers, uh, things of that nature. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of dollars being primed. There's, a, there's, there's expertise being deployed, but there's not there's not enough expertise, right? And so if I'm, you know, if I'm a shipper, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for a couple of things. Number one, can I find a cold chain partner that has the infrastructure today, and do they have capacity in their infrastructure? That that itself is a needle in a haystack right now. Uh, number two, are they integrated throughout all of that? So is that really an end-to-end -end solution where I can come in, or do I have to work with multiple parties underneath the umbrella? That's going to be a little bit less appealing to me if I'm procuring. Um, and, and, and then, you know, really, really from there, it's, it's, it's just, do they have the ability and the roadmap for future growth? So are they landlocked or do they have a vision of, Hey, I do have the capital lined up. I do have the talent in the pipeline. And as you grow, I can continue to go to multiple sites or I can continue to add expandable capacity at my current site. Um, you know, if you, if you can land on all, all three of those things, you, you truly found a best in class partner. Yeah, no, I think this is, again, another fascinating aspect of, of this market. And, you know, you, you always try to find, you know, where are the, you know, you talk about visibility, right? Uh, where are the black holes in the end-to-end -end supply chain? You talk about where are the risks in the end-to-end -end supply chain? Where What are the weak, weakest links or where are the biggest constraints? 
in in the end to end supply chain. I think this this whole warehousing side is uh, you know certainly something that that you know I think progressive shippers have been keeping an eye on and, and understanding, but maybe those that um, you know maybe are just beginning to try to grow and scale their operations. You know, they may run up into the situation where the weakest link in their growth and, and scalability plans are their, you know, the partners, their potential partners out there in terms of being able to grow and, and scale with them in terms of meeting their temperature control, you know, warehousing needs. Um, you know, we could probably, you know, talk for hours and hours about everything that's going on in this market. And, and I think both of you, you know, provided some, um, you know, some good insights on, on various aspects of this market, but maybe as a way to wrap up and maybe Trevor, we'll stick with you. Then Mike, you can wrap us up uh, in terms of uh, uh, adding your perspective. I mean, what is the biggest piece of advice, Mike, uh, uh, Trevor, we'll start with you. The biggest piece of, uh, piece of advice for temperature control shippers in this market moving forward. Yeah, um, it, really it's about evaluating the expertise of your partners or your prospective partners. So, you know, if you're working you know, if you're a shipper and you're working with a third party and there's a warehousing component, can you walk, can you walk the racks with them? Can they talk the talk? Do they understand, you know, what's going on in those four walls and are they integrated, you know, with, with, with that partner, right? I think that's really, that's really critical. And on the flip side, if you're maybe, maybe you're working with more of a, a, a traditional outside cold storage provider, a third party cold storage provider, and then you're evaluating transportation, it's the same thing. It, it flows both ways. Can they, are they are they running a diverse playbook in terms of modal optimization? Are they putting retailer compliance and, and fee and fine mitigation front and center? You know, really just just really evaluate the expertise because this isn't this is a, a an extremely specialized space, um, and you know a lot of things can go wrong. But with the right partner, a lot of things can go right too. And that I always just I always just lean on expertise and evaluation of that. Trevor, I think you hit it spot on. Um, that was a really good one. The expertise piece goes beyond just warehousing. Any partner that you have in the temp control world where there's a lot of just inherent risk involved because of the types of commodities and the cold chain perspective, it's imperative that you have somebody that you can trust and work through, whether that's a asset light, a 3PL, an asset provider, whatever it might be, make sure they have that expertise in everything that they do related to temp control. Um, the, the two things that I would really leave us with, especially in this new space that we're, we're living in, is make sure you find a provider that can offer you multiple services and products that make your, your machine operate really, really well and efficiently, right? We've probably said that about 38 times on this call today. Efficiency matters, especially today, right? When I think about um, the old days, right, you'd find efficiency and cost savings just through your RFPs on an annual basis, you'd shake things up, you'd have some fun conversations and you'd get what you're looking for. In today's world, there's so much more going on out there that you can't rely on the RFP alone to allow you to make these changes on an annual basis. You have to really dive in and make sure you have a diverse set of services and products that you can kind of lean on and flex on as markets shift dramatically or sit in a cycle longer than they typically would. So. The way I'm thinking about this and tying it back to some of those trends in the beginning is how can you think drop trailer a little bit differently on some of your lanes? Have you even asked the shippers or receivers if they have that flexibility and ability? Chances are they do, right? So this is a really exciting time and opportunity for shippers to really dive in there and get creative. Um, and also, I think, Adrian, you mentioned it a few times and we didn't hit on it specifically. Maybe that's for another conversation. But when we talk about end-to-end -end visibility, there's a lot of track and trace components to that that can help you mitigate risk. 
um, that we've taken some really dramatic steps in improving for our customers and ultimately the end consumer. Um, there's a ton going on in that space. And I would just urge anybody that's having issues with poor performance or service to talk to a provider that has some sort of visibility platform built where they can see all their trucks on a map, understand what's coming, what's gonna be late, the inevitable problems or opportunities that Trevor referenced earlier are bound to happen, right? And just find somebody that can really have that expertise and knowledge to know when to raise a flag and address it, and how to fix it. So I think if you can tackle those, what Trevor mentioned and, and what I just wrapped us up with, I think you'll be in a really good space uh, for the remainder of the year. Yeah, and a lot of great advice. I mean, I heard, and this was a common theme throughout, you know, it's funny because we, we, we're talking so much these days about AI and machine learning and how computers are going to take over the world, right? Um, but I think based on this conversation and you brought and all the points we talked about today, you realize how important human IP, human experience and knowledge, particularly in this market, is going to continue to be a competitive differentiator and important factor for success. So uh, that's that's one of my takeaways from from the conversation is the importance of knowledge and expertise and and, and uh, uh, understanding you know the market. So maybe this is an area that AI machine learning you know obviously plays a role in from a technology side and, and helping to aid you know the professionals in the industry. But certainly there's a lot um, you know involved here that uh, from a human IP side that's going to remain important moving forward. And then secondly, Mike, you know you brought up I think optionality. You know, making sure you've got, you know, different options on the table. So if if your if your one bet is to, you know, create efficiencies just through the RFP process, you know, that's not going to cut it anymore. And depending on the market conditions and everything else, you know, that could be a losing bet. You know, so really having different options and strategies on the table in the partners to be able to, you know, uh, operationalize that and execute execute on that is going to be important. Um, so those are those are my takeaways. Um, again, thank you both for making the time to be with us today. Uh, again, like I said, we can we, we probably we just managed to scratch the surface on this topic, but you both provided some great insights and, and advice. Uh, I want to thank those of you that joined us today. If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the CH Robinson website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question for Trevor or Mike, uh, I'm sure you know if you if you post a question there, I'm sure they'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you both, and look forward to seeing you and a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you.